I'll be back with another full 15 minutes of news at 11 o'clock. Here's Gene Shepard. Oh, we're on the air. <laughs> Hello there, gang. My God, how are you? <laughs> Once again, it's time to straighten out the mystery of life and put it all into all into perspective. Put all the little pieces together. You will, Arthur, please. Bring up there, Lars. If you will, uh, just one moment here. Eins, zwei, drei, und Yeah, very good, very good. Ah, uh, yes. Und du, trois, eins, zwei. Hello, test, one, two, three, four. Hello, test. Hello, testing. Uh, you know, uh, if you'll please give me just the slightest bit of an echo chamber, uh, when I call for it, I don't, don't, uh, when I call for it, you got it in there, all set in there? Good. Uh, uh, Jerry, would you please, uh, Clean off uh, the uh, the uh, the mold and the grime off uh, Art's shade so that he can see the knobs in there. All set. All right. Uh, now uh, <laughs> I uh, did not bring this up uh, without uh, malice aforethought. No, sir. Uh, one thing about Shepard, he always deals with the grand design, and uh, you better you better learn that, uh, troops. You better uh, you better recognize that there is a design to this, and it's usually the grand one. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, when we came on, tell you heard that uh, little ditty I was singing there? Did you hear that? Well, uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the nice uh, little touches that I've seen in my life is that occasionally there are people who do have a sense of the irony of existence. Not many. Uh, and uh, they're not usually very loud. They usually get chased right out of sales meetings. And... Uh, <laughs> Because anyone who takes himself very seriously can never have a sense of irony. No way. So you'll not find much irony running through uh, Mr. Mailer's work or Philip Roth and these people. It's always uh, usually the guys working way down in the undergrowth who understand the tongue-in-cheek. Uh, in, in other words, uh, life itself could very well be a cosmic joke on all of us. And we're deeply immersed in it, right? 
How many times have you heard uh, uh, traveling salesman jokes? You know, you've heard, you ever heard these? Uh, you know, farmer daughter traveling salesman jokes. Classic joke. But uh, 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 you notice that they always say there was this traveling salesman who was traveling along, and all of a sudden he ran out of gas, and uh, here he was by this farmhouse. He goes up, knocks on the door, and this farmer answers. And the farmer says, "Yes." He says, uh, "I'm ran out of gas here, fellow, and I, I'm really in trouble." The nearest town is 40 miles away, at which point the farmer says, well, yeah, you can stay here overnight. Of course, we only got one room in the house, and uh, you're going to have to share with my daughter Esmeralda. Well, that's the beginning of the joke, right? Okay. I mean, if you can call it a joke. I've never laughed at that type of joke, but there are those who do. Now, you notice it's always in the third person. We are describing a scene. Now, at no point uh, do we ever say, uh, view it from the first person. In other words, uh, view it from the standpoint of the farmer's daughter, uh, discussing what hell it was to live on that farm with her father, Caleb. And uh, (laughs) along came that sweet-talking man. Uh, On the other hand, we never discuss the joke from the standpoint of the traveling salesman, who, uh, tortured by by conscience, uh, turned inside out by the fact that he has not made a sale in over seven weeks, and uh, the sales manager is beginning to send telegrams to every town he's showing up at. You better get on a stick or you forget it. We're taking a stick away. And uh, so we, we, uh, we never see it from that standpoint, do we? Uh, all right, now, <laughs> so what I'm saying here basically is uh, life could be like a vast uh, traveling salesman, farmer's daughter joke. It is not funny to either the salesman nor to the farmer's daughter. It is only funny to the dispassionate Olympian observer. <laughs> well, uh, yes, think, 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 think seriously what I have just said about this. So uh, once in a while, though, you do meet somebody who does, does have a sense of humor. For example, uh, one time, I'm, uh, I'm in, uh, this is a college story, if you don't mind, a little brief reference to college life. Uh, there was a guy in the next room in the old dorm, and uh, he he was uh, he was struggling his way. He was he 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 had the the brief in his career. He had the brief illusion that he was a born chemist. That was a brief illusion. Well into the second semester, he discovered he was not only not a chemist. He was really the only thing that he had a talent for was failure. He was about to fail his uh, final exam in chemistry. He studied for seven straight nights all night long. He had all kinds of guys in there helping him. And the day that the exam occurred, I remember it well, the day dawned, well, the, that usual kind of grim, cold spring day with the wind blowing out of the north and a driving sleety rain. And uh, this uh, uh, budding failure struggled off into the wind, carrying his pencils, about to take a blue book exam that would determine his entire fate for the next four years at least, if not his entire life. It was a three-hour exam. And I happened to have the morning off, so I'm sitting around in the in the uh, dormitory, uh, looking out of the window and thinking about girls, which is about all we ever did in the dormitory. Uh, various things you think about girls, how to trap them, how to get rid of the ones you've already trapped and who are now trapping you. Uh, <laughs> it's a long, complex thing. You, you've gone through this, of course, are they? And, uh, and uh, so I'm sitting there, my jaw hanging slack, 
eating what at that time was a major obsession with me. Uh, for some strange reason, in my second year in school, in college, I got on an absolutely uncontrollable Fig Newton kick. Uh, the Fig Newton had gotten me, the mystique of the Fig Newton. I had uh, graduated from the Twinkie stage, which was a brief period in my teens and early early uh, adolescent period. I went through a, a, a brief period when uh, I found, for some strange reason, I found uh, there was a cheese spread called Pabstet. Did you ever hear of a cheese, you know, these cheese spreads that the kind of an American cheese? I went through a period where I, could get en- I couldn't get enough of that stuff. And then I suddenly sickened of that, even after I tried the pimento cheese spread, which held me only briefly, and then I went into the Fig Newton phase. And uh, I was really seriously in the Fig Newton phase. I began to, I, in fact, I even began to, to become aficionado of the Fig Newton, much as, uh, say, the late Clifton Webb in the movies was always an aficionado of fine wines. You remember Clifton Webb? Was, uh, Charles Boyer has always hit me as, uh, in the movies as being the, the fun society on things like wine and women. And, uh, yes, do you remember the commercials he made a few years ago that were, were all over the radio? Love is a boy. You remember that? <laughs> Love is a boy. This is Charles Boyer. Charles Boyer. But, uh, nevertheless, you, you'll notice my imitation is not much better than any of the, your average Catskill Comics imitation. Although, if he showed up doing that on the Johnny Carson show, you would believe it's good. Uh, but because I do it here, you say, listen to this fool, this slob, this knave. But uh, I became I'm deeply involved in the Fig Newton. And I, and I did not know until that period that there are many forms of Fig Newton. Did you know that you can get an apricot Fig Newton? Sounds like a contradiction in terms, but you can. Are you aware that there is also a raspberry Fig Newton? Which is quite good if you can get the teeth out of your, you know, the, the, the seeds out of your teeth after about with the raspberry Fig Newton. Uh, another one that's very good, in case you've never tried it, is the strawberry Fig Newton. Although it's a little sweet for my taste, since, like most aficionados, I began to drift further and further away from the obvious and the popular. Like the, when a person drinks wine for the first time, he believes wine should be sweet. You can always tell a rookie wine drinker, because he likes stuff that pours out of the bottle like uh, pancake syrup, and he loves that. You know, the kind of stuff that makes your teeth whistle Dixie as soon as you start drinking it. <laughs> you know, that's known as the Manischewitz syndrome. Nevertheless, that reminds me. Do you have any goodie in there for me to lay on the peoples? I knew you'd find one. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you. The excitement of Grand Prix, the thrill of downshifting on an open road. New York in the spring at the International Auto Show. The latest economy, luxury, family, and sports cars from England, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Sweden, and Soviet Union, plus select American models, some making world or American debuts. Dragsters, customs, classics, antiques, beautiful girls, glamorous fashions, the world's most exciting international auto show. New York Coliseum, now through April 15th. I saw, yes, sir. That's why you asked the auto show. We recommend you see the Mazda. Mazda, please. I bought a new Mazda the other day. It's a great new car. The people all say got a rotary engine goes round and round instead of those pistons that go up and down. Piston engine goes. But the Mazda goes. 
You can't hear the valves, you can't hear the cam, it's got fewer parts, so there's nothing to jam, no rods or pistons to rub or grind, just a rotary engine you can really wind. Piston engine goes. But the Mazda goes. So if you're getting tired of costly repair and you want the mechanics out of your hair, do what I did and save some grain. Go out and get yourself a clean machine. Piston engine goes. But the Mazda goes. Yeah. Get a sense of power in your life. You can't go wrong with a Mazda. In Dover, New Jersey, Joyce Mazda. And in Seaford, Long Island, Sunrise Mazda. The rising sun, of course. Well, let's see. Uh, I, I, every time I hear that, I just cannot... I cannot resist getting my Jews harp out. And, and it adds a little, doesn't it? Oh, don't worry, I'll tell the rest of this story because it, it has a lesson in it for all of us, friends. A lesson and a biggie. And while we're about uh, laying some lessons on, let's see what we got here. And why don't you surprise us, Art? Why don't you surprise us? Say, uh, what's this I hear about 7-Eleven store franchises? Call them. I mean, is the 7-Eleven franchise uh, going to make me some money? Call them. You know what I hear? I hear they got something like 4,500 stores around the country. That's a lot of stores. They're the biggest, I guess. Billion-dollar corporation, is that right? Call them. You know what? I hear they got one of the best uh, franchise arrangements going. Uh, well, you don't need no experience, and they train you. Hey, I wonder what kind of money you, you have to put in. Call them. You know, I heard that uh, most of these some of them franchises are run by husband and wives. Is that right? Call them. You think maybe they got some uh, some of them store franchises open around here anywhere? Call them. Well, uh, let me ask you this. What's the number? In New York, you call 516-781-2711. In New Jersey, you call 201-843-3006. You got a dime? That's just the kind of guy you'd like to hang one on that talks like that. This is W.O.R. New York, friends, as if you didn't know. Yes, sir. This, this is the deeply concerned spot in your dial, where life is lived rich and to the full, to the hilt. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this uh, I have to, you know, you, you learn these lessons from time to time in your life, that uh, a sense of irony is only produced by repeated failures. Uh, <laughs> one does not develop a sense of irony when one is, say, uh, Mickey Mantle. Uh, no way. You do, however, develop a sense of irony if you are, say, for example, uh, Bud Harrelson, uh, or even the uh, uh, who who is the famous guy that uh, that used to wear the glasses? Come on, let's see, Phil Lynch, of course. He was, uh, yes, uh, no, no, he never did play the accordion, nor did he play the harmonica. This was again one of those uh, myths foisted off on us by Maury Allen of the Post, and drives ball players right up the wall. But that, <laughs> nevertheless, <laughs> right, you, you, you develop a sense of irony through failure. And I'm sitting in there eating the waiter with the Fig Newtons, and I was making an experiment. There was a brief flurry out in the area where I went to school, which happened to be Indiana, the University of. And I was sitting out there. At that time, there was a brief flurry of excitement over 
what they call the butterscotch iced Fig Newton. Well, I, I admit I was sucked in. And I had gotten a two-pound box of butterscotch iced Fig Newtons, but at the time, uh, there's a certain period in your life where you don't throw anything away. And you doggedly go at it. And <laughs> I was doggedly working my way through a two-pound box of uh, butterscotch iced Fig Newtons. They were terrible. But anyway, you know, it was, it was a commitment, and I was going at it. So I'm, I'm sitting there, and on away at the Fig Newtons. And it was about a quarter after 11, quarter to 12, something like that, when I hear the dragging footsteps of somebody going past my door. It, you could hear the feet dragging. And I look up, and I hear the door next to me slam. Slam. Boom. At that point, I says, oh, uh, uh, I see uh, Howard's home. Uh, he's back home. I wonder how it went. It was immediately answered for me. I heard a, a, a thud, a crash, the sound of, of, a, of a chemistry book being hurled from one end of this small room to the other. The door opens again, and I hear <laughs> the shower clogs. <laughs> shower clogs play a great role in the, in the dormitory life. If you've ever lived in the dormitory life, you realize that there are many emergencies over shower clogs. Uh, one of the most emergencies... Well, the, first of all, uh, the emergencies sometimes ca are caused by dire epidemics. For example, uh, we had one character who, incidentally, everybody got so bugged at him because he wouldn't wear shower clogs in the shower, and everybody in the entire dormitory got a fantastic case of athlete's foot, which we traced immediately down to Clarence because he was a walking case of everything. This guy, if, if you can get it, he got it. He got it every conceivable way. And, uh, yeah, there was, a, there was a period when, when, when people wouldn't even let him, you know, you go to the john. They wouldn't let him go to the john after they didn't go out in the bushes because everybody's afraid of what they're going to catch from, from him. But uh, <laughs> this kind of, incidentally, he is now the president of a large insurance company. And every time I see this guy, you know, occasionally he pops up in the news. I think about if they only knew what Clarence was like, uh, back in the days. I can't tell you what Clarence was called. You know what he... All right, I'll tell you what he was called, if you know what the story of, of life is. Uh, I presume that you do know a few things. He was called... His nickname was called... His nickname was a four-letter word that has to do with a, with a uh, social disease. It begins with a C. That's uh, that's all they called him. You know, like some guys are called Sam, other guys are called Fred, other guys are called Aki. He was simply called by that simple four-letter word. And uh, they would say, uh-oh, here comes. And uh, everybody sort of shrink back into their rooms because they were afraid if you get too close to them, you might catch something that is airborne. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and uh, there was a period when, when there was such a big battle over, over him one time about the shower clogs because everyone knew where, where, the, uh, where the athlete's foot was coming from. And he had a curious type of athlete's foot. It was some kind of a rare oriental athlete's foot that attacked the marrow of your bones. <laughs> it was un unbelievable. So he would not wear his shower clogs, at which point there was a suggestion that we take him down. There was a stable that wasn't too far from the university, you know, where the elegant students would go and ride, and that there was a veterinarian who appeared there occasionally. We were thinking of taking him down and literally having shower clogs nailed on his feet by the vet. Uh, have him shod. <laughs> <At which point? laughs> 
so so you know these are, these are the kind of dramatic moments you have in in the in dormitory life. It, it is not all beer and skittles, nor is it all intellectual pursuits, as you know, Jerry. There's a there's a, other things happen in these dormitory hassles, and uh, I'm sitting in there eating my my butterscotch iced fig newtons, and I hear Howard's shower clogs drag past the door, uh, and he's on his way down to the shower. Well, I still didn't know exactly how he did. And I heard the, the water come on in the shower. You know, had this water. It took maybe 20, 30, 40 minutes for it to get tepid in our dormitory. You know, it started out to throw. It was amazing. I never saw a shower like that one, as a matter of fact. In the middle of summer, uh, the hottest days, uh, you go into summer school there, temperatures like 115 outside. You go to, you go down to get a drink out of the water faucet. The water comes out boiling. You can make tea right out of the water. Uh, you know, that came out of the faucet. That shower? No way. You turn that shower on, ice cubes come out. I mean, it's fantastic. You know, all kinds of icicles would come right out of the shower in the middle of the hottest weather. So, uh, conversely, uh, when you wanted warm water, uh, it would take maybe 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour for it to get tepid. And so I hear the water running in there, and uh, there's dead silence except for the water. And I'm all, all by myself on the upper floor of the dorm, me and Howard. And it was then that I learned uh, that there are people who do have a sense of irony. I hear the shower going, and I hear the, the Howard's shower clogs go clop, 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 clop. And then I heard the shower turn on a little bit, a little bit higher, and Howard's voice rolled out pure and, uh, and clean with the echo that always comes when people sing in a shower. And I could hear him singing, Oh, sweet mystery of life, unending ever. I knew then that he had failed. No question. No question at all, Howard had booted another one, and another career had gone down the drain. Now, I'm not going to explain that to you. Those of you who know what the implications are when a guy goes into the shower and sings, Oh, sweet mystery of life, unending ever. This, uh, this, this was a remarkably profound statement. The kind of statement that, that, uh, that deserves to be made more often will never be made by uh, by people uh, like Jimmy Breslin, for example, who do not think there's any mystery of life. They're just a lot of slobs in him, and uh, if they obeyed what he says they ought to do, everything would work out great. <laughs> oh no, the Howards of this world know better. Especially since his father was a leading research chemist with Standard Oil of Indiana, it was going to be very difficult to explain what happened that afternoon or that morning, that three-hour desperate morning, and his shower clogs went dragging back. You could hear him just scraping away, and he goes into the room there, slams the door, and my friend, who <laughs> at Jack Miner, as a matter of fact, was my roommate. Jack comes strolling in. I had a roommate that looked like Yogi Bear. You know, the kind of dumb-looking, dumb, fat and happy... Uh, you remember Yogi Bear? You say, I'm smarter than the average ranger. You remember him when he was always doing that? Well, Jack Mighty used to come in and say, I can't imagine what's me. What's the matter with me? I'm better looking than everybody else. He never made it with anything. 
He never could understand why. And, and uh, Jack Miner comes walking in dumb, fat, and happy, 375 pounds. You know, the kind of guy who takes up smoking a pipe uh, in the first year of, of college, and he smokes his obscene pipe tobacco. I mean, there's a kind of pipe tobacco, when you open the can, you have visions of uh, houses of ill fame on the Turkish coast on Saturday night. Oh, my God, what a smell. <laughs> and when he, would, when he would stuff it in his pipe and light the pipe, great clouds of this bluish-black smoke would come out. <laughs> and it would hang. This stuff, you couldn't get rid of it. It was like a fungus. It would hang in the room. Uh, I would walk in the room some days, and my head would be in this cloud. It would just hang like, you know, like a low-laying cloud layer in the room for weeks on end. And it would be from about the ceiling down to, oh, I'd say about shoulder level. And so your head would be up in there. And, and for that reason, I, I insisted on the lower bunk. And, uh, and <laughs> Miner would live in the top bunk amid this gray-purple cloud that had flowers growing out of it. This stuff was so pungent, Art that when the smoke would get, you know, the smoke ferments a little after it's been up there for a long enough time, and that you could see ants eating it and stuff. We, we used to have trouble with cockroaches come in and eat the smoke. I mean, it was that kind of stuff. So, so Jack walks in, you know, big as life, he comes wandering in. He says, hi. He's always known for his cutting wit and his magnificent ad libs. Hi. I say, hi, Jack. How about a fig, Newton? That was a rhetorical question because Jack would always grab whatever you were eating without question or asking. And we used to carry on a kind of a, a charade of, of uh, <laughs> a charade of, of civility. I'd say, how about a fake Newton, Jack? You know, before he grabbed it right out of my mouth, big fat old Jack. So I said, how about a fake Newton, Jack? I was anxious to get rid of these anyway. Jack didn't eat like most people did. He mulched. Uh, if... Uh, if you know much about the larger uh, the larger ruminants, you know what is it a ruminant? A ruminant is not a bum that walks around down in uh, down in the Bowery. <laughs> a ruminant is a cud chewing animal. A Jack chewed a cud. I uh, he never chewed gum or anything. He was always chewing on a cud. Well, it was a cud. It was a strange thing he was chewing. And so uh, Jack uh, would start mulching among the uh, fake notons. And then there was another thump next door, and he said. Uh, What's that? I said, it's Howard. And uh, Jack, of course, never wanted to leave well enough alone. I said, what's, what's, what's bugging him? I said, why don't you go ask him, Jack? I'm not going to bother him. He said, oh, okay. Now, he only went next door to see if Jack had any salami. Or, or Howard had salami. Howard was a salami cuckoo. And uh, Howard always had salami in his room. <laughs> Jack gets up, and he loved to mix salami with fig newtons. Jack had a lot of eggs. Uh, well, that's the ruminant for you. So he gets up and walks out into the hall and bangs on the door. And at which point, Howard, you hear the voice of Howard. He had this, he had this voice that came like it was out of an Egyptian tomb, you know. What do you want? Jack Hollis... You got, you got any salami? And uh, there was a pregnant pause. And the door opens. And I hear a couple of muffled voices. And Jack goes in to the room. And about ten seconds later, he comes out. And he's got about a foot and a half long salami with him. Just with the end cut off. He's got it, see? He comes out. And I said, I said how come, how come uh, Howard gave you all the salami? He gave you the whole salami. 
At which point, Jack says, well, I don't know, he's packing. He's packing in there. He's packing his stuff in a bag. I said, and you went in there and took his salami? He says, well, give it to me. He says he wasn't going to need no salami. He's going home. I said, do you know what's happened to Howard today? And Jack said, what do you mean? I said, he has just failed an organic chemistry exam. And it's a historic failure. This is the final exam. He is not going to come back. At which point, Jack, this is the cruelty of the college student. At which point, Jack says, oh, really? I said, yeah. He said, hey, I wonder if he'd give me his desk lamp. At which point, he goes back into the room, you know. This is a, I'm, a, you know, I'm just going to say that if you believe that there is sensitivity among youth, I have known too many. At which point, Jack goes in, big 375-pound Jack with his pipe going full blast sending sparks into the air and purple smoke into the closet. He walks out uh, into, into uh, Howie's room again. And this is one of the very few moments in my life that I have seen justice meted out where it was deserved. I hear a little muttering in there, and all of a sudden, a lot of scuffling. And with that, I hear a, a, a kind of a thumping and a, and a squeak, and then, POW! A desk lamp has come sailing out of Howie's room and has caught Jack on the back of the neck, ricocheted, and bounced off the ceiling and crashed into 4,000 pieces all over the floor. And he comes running into the room. Jack comes running in and says, What's it? What? what all I did is ask him if, if he, since he had no use for the desk lamp, what's the matter? I says, Sit down, you slob. Sit down. Just stay there and shut up and eat the Fig Newtons. Here, you can have all the Fig Newtons. Eat them. And so Jack went back to mulching. You know, there's a certain thing with the ruminant, as you'll find with the guinea pig. Uh, when the guinea pig gets excited, give him a piece of lettuce. That's the end of the ball game. He'll not get excited anymore. It is a well-known fact, even among racehorses. When a racehorse gets on his uppers, you know, you just hand him an apple and you got him in the palm of your hand. Well, with the, with the type that Jack was, shove him a box of cookies, shove him a box of Fig Newtons, and he's calm. So I shoved the Fig Newtons in his trap, and he's sitting there munching away in the Fig Newtons. And I hear the shower clogs go dragging by again towards the shower. Now, I don't know why I'm telling you this saga of life. He went dragging by, and I got up, and I walked out into the hall, and I could see Howard turned into the shower room. And he walks in towards the showers. I hear the water turning on. I walked down by myself, and I walked in. I said, did it happen, Howard? So what do you think? <laughs> I said, what are you laughing about? It. I said, it? What do you mean, it? He says, all of it. The periodic table, organic chemistry, log-log desitrig slide rules. All of it. Jack Miner, the whole damn bit. <laughs> he starts to laugh. Have you ever seen a guy with a true sense of irony laugh at life? There he is in the shower room of our dormitory a bastion of intellectuality and seething passions. 
a bastion of sex and thwarted desires. And Howard is standing next to the sink, jaybird naked, with a towel in his hand and his dop kit in the other hand, laughing at life. <laughs> oh, my God, what a joke. <laughs> well, I figured I'd better get out. He is laughing like hell. At which point, I run back down through the, 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 the hallway, and I make the left turn into the room, and there is dumb, fat Jack Miner sitting there, who is now wandering his way through the wonderful, exciting world of, of uh, butterscotch iced Fig Newtons. He's halfway through the last two or three Fig Newtons, mulching away. Yet, like a true ruminant, he chewed from side to side. Yeah, you've got to understand that there are among us those who have not achieved full human status. Uh, this is in direct, uh, direct, uh, I know I'm flying into, into, into the faith of many a liberal's beliefs, but uh, there are among us many who have not come as high up the evolutionary ladder as others more fortunate. And it is an unfortunate thing. Jack, somewhere way back in his family, somewhere way back in his family, a bull must have got into somebody's farmhouse. And, and the taint had remained forever. Jack chewed from side to side. That was irritating. I'll tell you, he had so many damned irritating habits. Have you ever lived with a roommate that at, at, after about... And, and it, was, it was just the luck of the draw. I got this slob. I did not ask for this guy. He was not a friend of mine. He didn't come from the same hometown. Nothing. Just, he was... When I was a freshman, I was assigned to this room, and there he was. He was assigned to that room. Where they were, we were. Now he smoked that that damn purple haze tobacco, and I used to sit and watch him chew. He would sit on the end of my bunk, always, and he would chew from side to side. He had a, yeah, he had a chewing from side to side motion, and and he would chew with an absolute concentration and with a blank look in the eye. He always reminded me of of the of a of a prominent member of the bovine. Com <laughs> you know, he was he was literally a cud chewer. So he's chewing away there, see? And I said, uh, I said, here, finish the Fig Newtons, Jack. I was feeling a little nervous about what was going on down in the shower room. And off in the distance, you could hear Howard still continuing his great roars of laughter. <laughs> and it comes echoing back, and it finally soaked through this clod Jack Miner's head that something was going on out there. He says, what, what's happening down in the shower, huh? I said, none of your damn business, Jack. I knew he could not understand such a delicate human emotion as irony. No way. Jack was the kind of guy who was so low in the passion scale, so low in the nerve-ending and ganglia scale, that like the turtle, he did not feel much pain. You could kick him heavily in the rear end, and it would take 15 or 20 minutes for him to understand that he's been kicked due to the fact he had a very, very uh, primitive nervous system. Uh, like many of the lower orders, he did not feel pain such as we human beings understand it. So he would not have understood something like irony. So he said, what's going on? I said, nothing, Howard. He said, it's nothing, Jack. He says, uh, oh. he says, somebody must be telling jokes down there. So he gets up and he walks down because he loved to hear dirty jokes, what he called a dirty joke. So he, he walks down through the, through the, uh, 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 by the way, ever since 
ever since my two-year forced acquaintance with Jack Minor, I have had an absolute hatred of dirty jokes. I mean, I can't stand them. <laughs> I can't stand them. Because the only thing Jack ever said outside of, Hey, you got anything to eat here? He'd say that once in a while. Occasionally he would say, Got any beer? That was another thing he would say. He would also say this. This dish is... Oh, he'd sit down and have... Totally humorless, like many of the lower primates. He was completely without humor. So he would come in and he'd say, Hey, did you hear the one about uh, uh, this... Uh, uh, this uh, this guy that was a salesman, you know, and he's trembling around. And uh, at that moment, it was something in the look of his eye, the dirty joke look in the eye. I couldn't stand even to listen to him. And he would and and and, and he would always he would always boot it. At the end, he would always miss. He'd say, uh, and then the girl said, uh, 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 hey, "You got your necktie on." No, no, that that's not right. Uh, 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 hey, Clarence, I did that joke. Oh, I want to kill it. So I, that's why I hated him. Well, I know what I was suffering from because I, I have been antisocial ever since. If you notice that, uh, then I get nervous. Uh, I, I, I hate cocktail parties, all this stuff. Uh, I developed a, a severe case towards the end of the fourth semester, absolutely virulent case of cabin fever. I, I began to hate the room because... I could smell Jack Minor in it. That was another thing. I won't even I won't even bother you with that. Like the lower ruminants again, he had a very very basic digestive system, extremely basic. And, and uh, he was he was an eating machine. He was he was he was a converter of food into various chemicals. And uh, that's uh, and, and, and so so I would come in every and, and it would just hit me. I'd smell that Turkish tobacco. It smells like Saturday night in Izmir, in the house of ill fame. And and oh, I'll tell you another thing. He was he was the most accomplished burper I have ever known. And he used to he used to have long drawn out burps, and with with all kinds of arpeggios. And, and he used to love it. It was his only talent. And uh, his 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 answer to any kind of subtlety of conversation, for example, uh, like like uh, one of my friends would come in. I had a lot of friends, you know, who who wrote for the yearbook and that kind of stuff. One would come running in and say, "Hey, did you read that essay by George Orwell? The one that was about uh, the, did you read the one about hunting uh, uh, elephants in India when he was a member of the place?" And and this of course bugged Jack. Jack did not understand any of these things. And he, like many true slobs, believed that anything he did not understand was an uh, was an effete affectation. In addition to that, they were all faking it. And so my friends would come in, a guy would say, Hey, hey, did you read that thing by Orwell? Jack would go, and then he would he always had that third or fourth note that he would squeeze out of it. Yeah. Oh. Well, that added more to the to the uh, pungency of the room. So on this historic day, Jack finally got what was coming to him. Because everybody on the floor hated not only Jack Minor, we hated the guy we called well, you heard what I said about that guy. The guy, 
The guy with the four-letter word name? Yes, that comes from two hands being struck smartly in applause. He was called that. It began with a C because uh, it was known that every communicable disease possible, everything from cold sores to rot of the marrow of the, of the, the bone came from this guy. So the two of them were, 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 were our twin sisters of hate. But Jack was hated for other reasons. And this day, when Jack got it, <laughs> it ranks with my, in my pantheon of great moments of true justice. Not many times in your life you see justice meted out where it's deserved. And we will tell you this great moment in just a moment after we lay a little goodie on you. Or maybe two goodies, or maybe three. Hey, guess who was in here yesterday? Wilbur Gillis, sitting right where you're sitting. And I get him a Valentine beer, and you know Wilbur, he spreads his racing form all over the bar, big mess all over. And he's sitting there, and after a while he says, Connor, my fortune is made. I'm rich. So I naturally ask him, how come? And he says, there's this horse running in his seventh race at a hundred to one called Three Rings. He says, all my life I've been drinking Ballantyne beer. And Ballantyne stands for purity, body, and flavor. The Three Rings. Now here's this horse I can't miss. So Wilbur takes all his money out of the bank and he bets it to win. Now guess what happens? The horse wins. But so many people have had the same hunch about Ballantyne and the three rings. They bent the horse down to where he only pays two forty, and Wilbur ain't rich after all. Some world, huh? Hey, let me get you another Ballantyne. On the house. Yeah, yeah. Ballantyne Bach beer is now available. Falstaff Brewing Corporation, St. Louis, Missouri, and other great cities. This is Beth Burns of the Bob and Ray Sports Department. A feature of Radio New York, heard every day, Monday through Friday, 3.15 to 7. What a dimwit. Well, I'd like to introduce my sports guest right here and now. Would you say hello? How you doing, fans? What a dimwit. It's all the time we have. Yeah, I wonder if they're promoting the Shepherd Show. Uh, <laughs> don't hold your breath, friends. Hey, dude, uh, get on over to uh, Shoe Town. That's what the copy says, dude. Shoe Town's got it all together. You know those far-out Bridgetown flood shoes for men that boutique sell for up to 30 bananas? Well, Shoe Town's got them for, let's see, the very same Bridgetown floods for twelve eighty-eight. I like these little ad-libs they write in here, like, now dig this. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I mean, men, these shoes are outrageous. Uh, for just twelve eighty-eight, the Bridgetown floods, first quality, are waiting for you. At all, only at the six shoe towns in Nassau County. That's Oceanside, Lawrence, Massapequa, New Hyde Park, Baldwin, East Meadow, and Harold Shoe Town. It's worth a trip from anywhere. But men, you'd better hurry, cause at Shoe Town's price of twelve eighty eight, the Bridgetown floods are gonna fly. Yes, sir. Okay. We have another one, the House of Chan. I knew we'd get around to it. Thank you, Jerry. <laughs> oh man. Uh the House of Chan. And uh, if those of you who are coming in this weekend for, you know, make the scene in New York, we'd like to suggest that you keep in mind the House of Chan. They're at 52nd and uh, 7th Avenue. They're an excellent Chinese restaurant. They're open seven days a week. They have a great bar, and they have 117 different ways to fix chicken if you're off on the anti-meat kick. The House of Chan, 7th Avenue and 52nd Street. Elegant. And, uh, oh, you want to hear what happened to Jack Miner and not Bob and Ray, right? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm not going to tell you. Bring it up. You blew it. 
Play a promo on me, and you're going to get that for your you're going to get that for your pains every time. Bring it up, baby. Oh, I'm mean. I'll tell you. See what I mean? You can push Shepard just so far enough. <laughs> ah, sweet mystery of life. 